You are listening to the Consciously Curious Podcast, where we dissect those that are thriving in their field in order to lay down the steps for others to follow. I'm your host, Victor Chan. This show is for those that don't know what they want to do in life or are simply just curious. If you know someone that would be perfect for the show or have a passion you want me to explore, please send it my way. In this episode, Maddie and I chat with Adele Nandan, who is the Vice President of Business Development and External Relations at the nonprofit Refugee. She also runs her own business, planning travel excursions abroad. She has over 20 years of management experience internationally. She helps us dissect the nonprofit space, living a well-balanced life of selflessness with boundaries, as well as fostering relationships with potential and repeat donors for nonprofits. Tons of little nuggets of life advice in this one. Please enjoy our conversation with Adele Nandan. Um, just to start off, can you kind of give us an intro into what Refugee is all about? Sure. So Refugee is an organization that helps refugee girls that have escaped conflict in the East African region. So okay. girls that have lived in the Congo, South Sudan, Somalia, Eritrea, Uganda, in that region of Africa and have gone through some really difficult and traumatic um, circumstances, whether the country was going through war or some type of environmental disaster, and the girls have escaped those regions, literally, as you imagine, by foot Mm -hmm. or um, on on the back of a truck, and have made their way to Kenya, which is a refugee-friendly country. a majority of the girls, I would say about more than 50% of the girls are between the ages of 13 and 23 and have experienced some type of sexual violence. And so they are either pregnant or they're coming with babies. Wow. Yeah, so babies having babies plus all the turmoil they've gone through. So the girls make their way to Kenya and either end up in a refugee camp or end up in a community that is refugee friendly um, in the urban area of Nairobi. And they hear about our program, and what our program basically is, is that it's a holistic, trauma-informed model of care. So the girls come to us, and we educate them. We teach them Swahili and English because they come from so many different regions of the world, Mm -hmm. of East Africa, excuse me, and they are speaking a different language. So we want them to be able to communicate with one another and with the teachers. Um, And then we put them through primary education, so they go through... um, Usually primary education in East Africa is grades one through eight, but they're able to accomplish it in four years. And then they take the Kenya standard testing, um, and then they are able to graduate into secondary education. Um, Through that education, they're also able to learn tailoring skills. So we teach them tailoring so that they, one, it's a creative way to be able to get healed from all the things that they've gone through and for them to be able to think differently. And they are also able to start their own businesses. So we teach them Mm -hmm. the basics about tailoring, like how to stitch, different cutting patterns and things like that. And then once they finish that tailoring class, then they're able to enter into what's called our artisan collective program. And that's actually where they make scarves like this. Get out of here. Yeah, so these are tie-dye scarves. And the girls are, again, able to use creative energy to be able to figure out, like, different types of tie-dyeing skills. And we sell these on their behalf so they can earn an income in that capacity as well. Wow. So we, that's kind of our, what's called our girls empowerment program, that education system, but we are also advocates on their behalf. We teach them what their rights are as refugees. We also go out into the communities of Nairobi and teach um, the communities like different skill sets, different um, classes on like gender violence and things like that so that it's a more holistic way of addressing the problems that refugees face. Hmm. Do you think there's a need for that stateside here? Oh, that's an interesting question. So the need for that type of program here? Yeah, or like a holistic model for, there's plenty of trauma here. You know, yes, so. definitely. There's a lot of PTSD that people go through. So when we say holistic trauma-informed care, what that basically means is that when they're in the classroom, we're able to identify when a child is going through a difficult moment and they're not able to concentrate in the classroom and we take them aside and we counsel them and we get them through through those moments, but we take them step by step. So you're not forced to sit through the classroom and learn math even though you're not able to concentrate. Mm -hmm. We have to be able to address the whole 
problem so that the girls really achieve healing in the best way possible the root cause yeah so definitely that is i'm sure we can use that in so many different ways especially in what we're currently facing in the u.s i think it's definitely something that we should look into or something that we should consider for how we educate our kids here but has that question ever been um, asked of you it's like why go abroad when there's so much here so what what appeals to you about Africa? Sure, that's a very good question. So what appeals to me about Africa is um, I think ever since I was little there's always been an interest for me to you know that that suffering happens there, um, suffering on a different level. So um, my parents are from India and we saw suffering in India and um, for whatever reason my heart had always been drawn to Africa and it was something that I had always wanted to do and, and in my late 20s really just wanted to figure out what is my career doing, where am I going, how, um, what direction do I want to go in in terms of giving back because mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I was really feeling the passion in the work that I was doing when I first started my career. So I started my career in aviation management and worked at, a diff at an airline and also as um, in customer service in a private jet company. Mm -hmm. But I didn't feel fulfillment. Okay. Um, I knew that I always wanted to be able to give back. I knew that I wanted to help the poor and faith is a very big part of my decision making. So I also wanted to be able to serve God in some capacity. And so this opportunity came um, to me in my late 30s. So it took mm -hmm. a long time. So nothing is by mistake, um, but in life you don't get what you want right away and every step that you take is leading you to the path that you're supposed to be on. Mm. And so in my late 30s, I came across a position f with an organization that does microfinancing. And what that basically is, is that you provide loans to people who live on less than $2 a day. And with those loans, they're able to build up their own businesses and earn an income where they can send their children to school, they can put a roof over their heads, they can, um, feed their families three meals a day, things that they weren't able to do. So it's graduating mm -hmm. them out of poverty. Yeah. And so I started that career in 2008, so much later. For? What was that group called? Opportunity that, International. Yeah, which yeah. is big. Tell me, I don't know, Mandy knew something about it. I, oh, I, I don't know yeah. anything about it. So what, yeah. what's Opportunity International? So Opportunity International is an organization that provides financial services to okay. people who live on less than $2 a day. Okay. And they've been around for over 45 years. So they've been in this business for a long time. And they um, operate in over 25 different countries. Okay. And do you think that that was it for you at that time? Mm -hmm. Right? That was your, like, I can give back now. Yeah. So when I got that job, I realized every difficulty, every career change, every move that I had made was leading me to this moment because mm -hmm. I felt complete peace and when I worked there I never felt like I was at a job like I was mm -hmm. doing what my heart was passionate about and yeah. I had the blessing of traveling with people who donated to the organization and being in the trenches basically is being on the ground meeting the people that were benefiting from these loans and seeing how their lives were changing and what an impact just $150 could have on someone's life like to be able to send your children to school to be able to clothe them to feed them Their lives are no different from our lives here in terms of the fact that like we all have the same dream We want our children to be able to go to school We want to be able to feed our family and we want a roof over our head. Those are your three basic needs and because those people were not given that opportunity They were lacking in those things, but as soon as they got access to that money life completely changed for them and to be able to see life through their eyes and to see what is important to see hope to see joy on a different level i was so fulfilled and realized like i'm good this is really where i want to be um i didn't seek for anything more i didn't feel like oh i needed to achieve more in my life in terms of my career i wasn't seeking um money i wasn't seeking like a higher position or anything like that. I was just able to give back to love. I'm a very relational person and I felt like I could just love at the capacity that I could yeah. um, and really connect 
what you would consider the haves with the have-nots. So people who had access to money to provide that money to people who didn't have access to money. Yeah. And then as a result, lives on both sides would be changed because when you give back, your heart changes, your soul changes. There's so much about you that you don't realize that needs to be healed. And when you are giving of yourself, that starts to slowly transform in you. It's funny, you're empowering others to give back as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't, I don't know if you know, but I, I'm a paramedic by trade. I don't really, I'm not really active anymore. I teach an EMT class, so I teach others, and Maddie was um, a former student, how to be, or how to become an EMT. Okay. So I feel like I'm giving back in a sense, but not like boots on the ground healing as sure. a paramedic. So I think some part of me like misses that. But the other aspect is I had to let it go because I was not making enough money. Mm -hmm. So where do you think, what are the crossroads to finding um, a sense of passion slash fulfillment? So for me, I was so passionate about my job that I traveled 75% of the year. Um, I was out of the country a lot, ended up living in Africa because I was gone so often and thought just made sense for me to stay there instead of living in Chicago and traveling back and forth. That takes a toll on you. Um, but I also didn't, when I was so passionate, I didn't feel like I was working, but I also lost like touch with my family in the mm. same capacity like mm -hmm. I wasn't there like I used to be I wasn't able to attend family functions I wasn't the running joke in my family was can you come to this event and the they would answer for me no I'll be in Africa like that was the running joke in my family and it but it was the truth I missed out on weddings and birthday parties and so I worked at that career with Opportunity International for eight years but realized I also am older was not married and I was like okay I need to figure this out like is this important to me me as well to have my own family and mm. to have gotten married and kind of really took a step back and quit my job and started my own business. Um, I started a philanthropic travel business and basically what the reason I did that was twofold. I wanted to give people access to countries, not just through one organization, but through many organizations. So I wanted to be able to create travel experiences for people where not only did they go on safari or see the Taj Mahal or um, you know, go on a gorilla trek, but they were also giving back to the communities that they mm. were visiting. So that it was cool. really a dream of mine because I had seen the impact that it had at my past job but I wanted to be able to open it up to other nonprofit organizations and not be limited. But also, I didn't have to travel. I created those experiences, mm. but it didn't make me travel. And I thought, okay, this is a good way for me to figure out my personal life, but also do what I'm passionate about. Um, and how long have you been doing that, running the business for? So I started that in 2016. Okay. Um, and then this year, 2018, just within the past year and a half realized it's great to be able to run your own business, but it's not easy <laughs> and you do have to earn a living. So I thought, let me figure out how I could manage having a job as well as owning a business. And um, Refugee actually found me. So oh, wow. I didn't go after the job. They found me through a mutual friend and um, I just was recently hired in March of this year. So I started okay. with them in March and I'm a, the VP of business development. So basically what that means is I fundraise for the organization so that people can give to this organization and help these girls um, build a better lives for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so going back to the traveling thing, Maddie travels a lot as yeah. well for work. Yeah. Um, is there, do you think for you, is there ever a point where you do want to slow down? Oh, for sure. <laughs> I think about it all the time. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what is constantly on my mind mm -hmm. of, I love where I work and I love what I do, but I don't like being gone. Mm -hmm. um, and when the travel first started, I loved the travel, mm -hmm. but now it's like, it's just work. It's not yeah. pleasure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it takes a toll on you. And it's hard because I get a lot of the same stuff of like, are you here this week? Yeah. Are you going to be like, <laughs> you know, like it's never just, Hey, do you want to go to dinner? It's like, Hey, are you here? Like that's yeah. the first question. Um, but yeah, so I get that. Yeah. It's definitely difficult. And as you get older, you're, it takes a toll on your body, but also just 
you miss out on so much in life yeah. too. And in fact, this past summer, um, one of the interns at Refuge, asked me, she's like, do you have any exciting travel plans for the summer? And I'm like, nope, I'm so happy to stay here in Chicago and enjoy Chicago summers and not have to get on a plane. So right. it yeah. definitely um, makes a difference. And it's hard because you should be grateful for the opportunity to travel. And it, it sounds cool to say, oh, I'm going to Africa this week and constantly say, oh, I'm going to this exotic country uh-huh. um and you feel guilty because you're like it's not exciting anymore <laughs> right know? i know yeah yeah so i get it i feel that mm. yeah it's you're torn because um if you're a part of a large organization you i've heard it been called golden handcuffs where like the benefits are too good to pass up or too good to let go and you know all the perks of like traveling and things like that but you you get to a point in your life where you have to make like you're a fork in the road where, mm-hmm. where it's like yeah. what really Is matters I, like that's what we've talked like, right it's interesting to hear you say how you you waited until your late 30s it sounds like to switch yep. over to the nonprofit side and that's kind of what in my head my plan is too, because I have a good job with great benefits and it's nice to be able to set myself up well for later in life mm-hmm. um but at some point I want to like let go of corporate America and do passion work it feeds the soul so much more. Yeah. Um, and the money will come. So if, like, you're wor- you're concerned about whether or not, oh, gosh, you know, I'm turning down this corporate job and I'm going to go into the nonprofit segment and there's going to be a discrepancy in how much I get paid and how will I survive, it'll work out. Mm-hmm. It always does. It, it'll work out. As long as your heart is there and you work hard, you'll figure it out. Yeah. You may have to make some sacrifices, but they'll be worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I actually started in the nonprofit space when I turned, uh, yeah, 38. 38. I'm yeah. 29 now. <laughs> so I'm like, I want to work really, really hard while I have a job that pays well and sets me up well. No. and just like stockpile and then switch yeah. to nonprofit work. No, I lied. Work. I was 30. 30. Oh, I was 30 shoot. when I... Yeah. Next year. <laughs> <laughs> I was that thinking, was giving me hope. <laughs> no, I was 30. And then I was 40 when I started my own business. Okay. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Mm. Sorry. It gets... It all runs together as you get older. <laughs> do, you, do you think there's an area within Twitter to be in that position to give back? Yeah. I feel like I give back through my work now. Kind of what you mm-hmm. were saying, saying is at Twitter... Our mission is to serve the public conversation Mm. and there's a lot that happens in the world that needs to be made public and people need to see these conversations happening in a public space um so while my job isn't building the product i help them keep the lights on to be able to provide Mm. that service to the world um so that's why that's why i choose twitter over facebook or google yeah but you feel it sounds like you do you feel valued it's it's easy to get lost in such a large company Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, Adele, take us back to, to teenage Adele, or maybe college Adele. Oh. What did you think you'd be doing? You studied poli sci. Uh huh. What do you? What did you think you'd be doing? What I thought I'd be a lawyer. No way. Oh really? Yeah. I totally thought I would be the Huxtables, like Claire Huxtable, <laughs> or that's the Cosby Show, in case that even you guys, <laughs> yeah. for reference. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Claire was a. Uh, lawyer and her husband was a doctor and so I was like that's gonna be my life mm. and um, in college realized I didn't want to be a lawyer and I knew that I wanted to get into the international space so my second degree is actually in international relations okay. um, but didn't know in what capacity I really believed that people needed to learn about other cultures and I wanted to be a consultant for like a multinational corporation and teach mm. them how to do business with other organizations that worked overseas Mm -hmm. um, and how to just relate to people of different cultures and um, but didn't know graduating from college how do you get a job like that (laughs) right and my first job was at American Airlines working um, as a manager at the ticket counter so totally different from what I studied but what about that job appealed to you at that 
that time or was it just a job it was just a job just i literally job. went to um a job fair because yeah. i graduated college moved back i went to college in texas and moved back to chicago and i was like i need a job yeah. and my dad was like you need a job yeah. i'll get a job <laughs> and, yes and so i went to a college fair and at the time american airlines was hiring managers at from co- college graduates as managers um and so luckily got a job as a manager and stayed with American for five years, mm-hmm. managed the ticket counter, and then worked in the International First Class Lounge and the Admirals Club as a manager as well. And then September 11th happened, and they laid off a bunch of people. So I was part of that layoff mm-hmm. and um, didn't have work for 10 months. It was very difficult because my experience, all my experience was in aviation. and. After September 11th, aviation was not the job that you were going to get. Right. So I um, worked at, like, the Pottery Barn and just did retail. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, found a job in Dallas at a private jet company and was miserable. I lived there for six years, and I was miserable the entire six years. Six years. Yeah. I knew that it was not the job for me. Um, Just not because it wasn't a good job, but because... It wasn't where my heart, yeah, yeah. it was where not where my heart was, and really wanted to get back to Chicago. I didn't like being in Dallas, and um, I remember watching Oprah's, I don't know if you guys, you guys are young, but Oprah opened up a school in South Africa, Mm -hmm. and they showed it on TV, like they had an ABC special where they showed the opening of the school and everything, and I'm just bawling the whole time, and I'm like praying and I'm like again faith is a big part of my life I said God when is it my turn when is it my turn that you're going to let me go to Africa and help the people that need help and serve you in the same capacity and I just cried and I just kept looking for jobs and like several years later like three years later this job at Opportunity International came up literally 10 minutes away from my parents house Mm. and I applied for that job and I like applied like six different times and it took almost a year to get the job wow i went through eight interviews and it was a very long process but it was the job like my dream job i couldn't have asked for a better job i is exactly where i needed to be but i realized that all those years of working at american and working at that private jet company prepared me for exactly what I needed to know in the business world and how to relate to people. I mean, being in customer service is a very tough gig. Mm-hmm. Um, when I worked at American Airlines, I had people spit on me. I had people try to choke me. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> is, is the customer always right? Uh, not in those circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> the key to hospitality. Yeah. The customer is always, always right. right. Yep. Yeah. Best in class service. So, um, but it, it made me a very strong individual. So then when I had to travel overseas to countries that were challenging and take high net worth individuals with me and take care of them, I was prepared. Mm-hmm. I knew you know, how to handle myself. I knew how to handle difficult circumstances and how to think on my feet. So that's when I said earlier, nothing is a mistake. Like mm-hmm. everything, every step that you take is just preparing you for your next big, big thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Damn. Um, what are so for people that want to get into nonprofit space? Um, is there anything they should be aware of before going into it? Uh, yes, let, let's, that's... Like, let's say you're coming out of college and mm-hmm. you had hopes of working for a nonprofit. Um, is it lucrative? Is it is it something that you could go from the ground up within the same nonprofit? You can if you get in the right nonprofit. Okay, but I will tell you that you work three jobs like at the same time because nonprofits one don't have the money it's all based on the income that comes in from fundraising um and two they just there's so much that needs to be done to get the word out about whatever nonprofit you're working for that you just wear many hats and you're Mm. you work a lot um so just be prepared for that in terms of the fact that like you will give up and when you first get out of college i think you're ready to kind of do that and Mm -hmm. figure it out but i would also recommend for people that are interested in working in the nonprofit space to intern as much as you can because each nonprofit is different and the cause is different so figure out like is it breast cancer awareness that you're you know particularly drawn to in terms of something that maybe your family has experienced and that's why or is it global poverty development is it poverty alleviation is it refugees is it water and sanitation you know just 
do internships as much as you can so that you can get a feel for what it's really like before you take the big plunge of looking for a job and getting a job in the nonprofit space. Is there anything that you that didn't meet your expectations that fell short of what working in the nonprofit yeah. space? No. No, huh? Really? Yeah, I really love what I do. I love the purple people that I serve. Um, and I love in both organizations that I've worked in and even in my own business, I, um, the people that you work with really make or break your job. Right. Mm -hmm. And when you have people that are just as dedicated and driven by the passion that you're driven by, it makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I really, I mean, maybe people's personalities, but that's life. Like yeah, that may be yeah, that's may disappoint you. Um, I think, especially in poverty alleviation, you get disappointed because you want to do more. Yeah, that's that's the hard part when you see suffering and you can only do so much. Or, like I am a strong believer that you just don't hand out money. I think that's the worst thing that you can do mm -hmm. to help people. It's called, there's an excellent book called When Helping Hurts, mm -hmm. or there's another book called Toxic Charity. You should never just hand money out because you are not teaching the person how to prepare for life themselves. Right. Mm. But there are certain circumstances where you see suffering and you're like, I just want to fix it. And you, you can't. That's the difficult part is okay. when you know you may have the ability to fix a problem or make it easier or send a child to school at, at that moment. But then what can you do long term? For them you don't and and it's not sustainable for you to completely move there yes. drop everything yeah there just... yeah does that burn you out yes it did yeah. so in my the job that i worked for um eight years where i traveled 75 percent of the time i gained a ton of weight i ate crazy like you just don't it's hard to live a healthier lifestyle i would worry about not all personalities, but for someone like me, absorbing all of seeing that suffering would yeah. like really take a toll on me personally yeah. because you hit a point where you realize you as one person can't solve these problems. And yeah. I think it would just run me down. Yeah. You know, that's what I worry about getting into a space like nonprofit of like, am I just gonna give too much of myself where I have nothing left? So I. I did um, to a certain degree. I gave everything. And I think I continue to still give everything. But now I, as I've gotten older and I've realized I just had to have boundaries for myself. But there is a, a small story that I read a few years ago that really put things into perspective for me. And I'll share it with you. There was a little boy walking on the beach, and you may have heard this. And there's all these starfish that wash up on the beach. Mm -hmm. And he's picking one of them up, like one by one, and throwing them back into this, the ocean. And this man comes up to him and he's like, why are you doing this? There's like so many of them. You're not going to be able to fix it. Mm -hmm. And the little boy just says it made a difference to that one. Yes, I love that. <laughs> yeah. And so that's really how you have to look at life is um, nothing is by mistake. No relationship is by mistake. No interaction is by mistake. And... You're making a difference in that one life and you have no idea what the impact that you're having on that one life and how they will then pay it impact forward. Impact others, mm -hmm. yeah. Do you ever live with like survivor's guilt in a way? Yeah. So yeah. I, I always call it like when you re-enter back into the U.S. Mm -hmm. So like when whenever I come back from a trip, I come home and I'm like, and I live in abundance, mm -hmm. you know, and... um. It makes me sad sometimes. Like, it's hard for me to, like, get sad about certain circumstances in my life because I'm like, oh, gosh, life is far worse somewhere else. But then you have to remember that everything is relative. And it's mm -hmm. okay for you to feel sad about whatever circumstance that you're yeah. in. Um, but you should put it into perspective that it could be worse, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so I call the reentry a little bit difficult for me, but then life goes on and right. you kind of get over it and but it does change your outlook on life for me it changes my relationships and how I interact with people I feel like I'm more empathetic mm -hmm. than I was um and I just love I feel like 
in general, I'm a loving person, but I feel like I have more capacity to love. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So with that, um, were you kind of going towards like, so we, if you, whoever's watching like this lavish background and mm -hmm. you live in, you know, downtown Chicago, mm -hmm. is there any like guilt associated with that? You know, I've only lived in the city for the last two years, so I'm okay. 43 years old. So yeah. 41 is when I moved to the city. I don't have guilt in terms of the fact that, like, I worked hard right. mm -hmm. to be in this place, and um, it brings me joy. It's not because I'm still giving back. I'm still loving yeah. on others. It's not that I'm not doing it because I've chosen to live here. Um, no, I don't think... I think you should... There's never a point... Hmm, that's I'm a, torn. You know, you're, yeah. you're going around downtown Chicago, and you see... You see these hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollar cars sure. driving around. It's like, I'm sh and I'm sure they're probably giving back too. But yeah. it's it's like when you have so much abundance and there's so much hurt in the world, mm -hmm. um, is it like your responsibility to kind of pick up the slack? I, I mean, maybe it isn't. I guess it isn't your responsibility. But I mean, it's everybody's it's responsibility. It's everyone's. Yeah. Just because I'm living in a nice place, should I have? Should I? feel guilty for living in a nice I, place? I don't know, you know? Like, I, I kind of deal with that too sometimes. <laughs> of like, I think I should just be grateful Yeah, that I, I have the ability to do that. So I, I think it's different with age, though. With age? Like, you're 40-something, mm -hmm. you've worked hard your entire life, you deserve to live a comfortable life, but sometimes I feel like, I'm 29, like I don't need to live in a nice place. I could live in a studio with my dog and have like even more abundance to give back with because someone my age like, how, like but don't that's you, the time to live small, I guess. It, it could be the time to live small, but don't live life out of guilt. Yeah. Like if you're going to go live in that studio and live with your dog, Make sure that it still brings you joy. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't do it just because you feel guilty like you should be giving back. Right. Because then it's just... You know, it's like, what's stopping us from um, inviting someone off the street into our home and, like, mentoring them back to health and independence? Who says that, that I don't do that, though? Oh, no. I'm, I, <laughs> <laughs> you're right. I know. But, like, it, there's so much opportunity to help. There know. is. I've, I've it's oh, it's actually like overwhelming because when you think about like, okay, I have X amount of hours in my week that I could dedicate to something. It's like, where but do I even start? don't make it an action that you have to do. Like me having a conversation with you or me having a conversation with you, how I interact with you. My, I have a mission statement for my life. Mm -hmm. And my mission statement is that every single person that I interact with should walk away from me feeling smile and feeling loved. What if that's my only way of giving back is to ensure that you feel loved in all conversations that we have, in all interactions that we have. Don't make it such a big thing like mm. I have to do this or I have to do yeah. that. Just think about just your daily interactions and then they'll grow into other things. And if you feel like you're called to work in a nonprofit or give money back or volunteer, you will. But yeah. just don't make it such a I have to a guilt ridden I have to. Sure. Yeah, that's good advice. Sure, I like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk about hope. All right. How do we instill hope in those that have lost it? How do we how do we bring people up back to maybe a path of independence to to, to walk on their own two feet? Or, or is it? It's. I, I'm guessing it's more than just seeing you guys come into Kenya and like, oh, mm -hmm. you know, life is going to be great now. Like, yeah. Yeah. How do we? How do we bring that back? Bring it back in general to humanity. How have you seen others heal? Heal. Is that that's probably a huge part of it? Of, yeah. of In the in the path to restoring hope is healing that trauma. Yep. So that's a heavy question. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things, right? So you, for, I'm going to go back to what 
I just previously said. I really think when we smile, Mm -hmm. when we love on one another, when we are um, hopeful with one another, when we encourage one another. I remember when I was in um, Africa and I had a Rwandan woman come up to me who I often visited. And she asked me, she said, why do you keep visiting me? Like, why do you care? I'm just this poor lady who has nothing to give to you, but you continually come and you visit me and you hold my hand and we talk and you show me love. And she said, why do you do that? And I said, why shouldn't I do that? You are my fellow sister. Like, there's no reason I shouldn't. You're no different from the next person to me. So I think when you start to make people feel valued, that just because you're a janitor or you're a person who unfortunately lives on the street because of whatever circumstances, and I live in this high rise in Chicago, my life is not any more valuable than mm. your life. There, And again, this is where my faith comes into play. There's a reason why God brought you to this earth. And I believe that every single person on this earth has a purpose and is loved and has value and we should be able to bring those out in one another in just our interactions yeah. you should know that your life has value yeah you should know that you have a purpose and even if your only purpose is to smile at somebody who was having a bad day you have no idea how that smile impacted them and and they thought wow that person cared enough to smile at me mm. totally you there's no idea no better feeling than feeling appreciated yes and valued and seen and heard. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So I think hope really is just, it's not as hard as we think. Hmm. I think it really just comes from us valuing, valuing each other's lives and not differentiating between who the haves and the have-nots. The haves are not more valuable. We give them more value, but in general, we are all just people. Yeah. With a short window of opportunity here. Mm-hmm. Do you think we um, play the victim mindset card too much when people who are struggling to find purpose and value and hope? I feel like a lot of times we put it on them of being like, well, maybe if you like exercise and ate well and like did all this stuff, you would start to feel better instead of like realizing what we as a society can do to help everyone feel better. Does that make sense? Mm. Can you put it in another? I think a lot of times, you know, I think we all know people who have various struggles in their life. Um, And I think a lot of times we put it on them to heal themselves rather than taking an active role in that healing. Mm I think people are very quick to just prescribe happiness on other people. Um, but it's like the little things of like, if we can make people feel valued every day, yep. th- that little thing could turn someone's happiness around. Yep. You know, like it's more than just what that person thinks about themselves. Like we all play a role in people's healing. Let me ask you a question. If someone came across your mind that is a friend of yours an acquaintance of yours Mm -hmm. would you send them a text and say hey i'm just thinking about you hope you're having a good day it's funny that you say that because the past year or two i have made a conscious effort to do that more to people because i had an experience where that happened to me and it changed everything for me and that person i don't think even realized what they had given Mm -hmm. me that day when Mm -hmm. I needed it yeah and so now when people come to me with ongoing issues or for advice I make sure to check in and like bring the conversation full circle of like I'm still thinking and appreciating and like hoping for you that you find conclusion yeah I think that's the biggest thing you can do for someone who comes to it for advice or help with anything and but also follow through don't wait for that right so if somebody comes across in your mind you're like oh i wonder how they're doing check on them there's a reason they came into your mind we are meant to be relational we are not meant to be pardon me i think it takes yes because (laughs) you have to show like a mushy side of yourself too yeah you know what i mean so like there's also that you have to get 
yeah there's also that side of it is you have to be soft i am totally an open book so Mm -hmm. i have learned especially as a woman um it is my responsibility to uplift other women Mm -hmm. and that means that i should be willing to share my story Mm -hmm. fully Mm -hmm. whatever and I may share it with you and you may take advantage of me or you may make fun of me or you may judge me. That's on you. That's not on me. Mm-hmm. I yeah. was willing to be vulnerable with you because I wanted to help you. Mm-hmm. And in the end, it will help you in some capacity. But how, what you choose to do with it is really up to you. Yeah. But I think, um, no offense, but I think as women, we should be more open with one another so we don't think that we're walking down this path alone. Because a lot of women stay quiet about difficulties that they may be going through, and they suffer in silence. And someone yeah. else has probably gone through the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. And if you know that people have gone through those same things, it's easier to walk that path because you've seen them come out on the other side. So that gives you hope that you can also come out on the other side. Yeah. So I wish people in general, I don't know, like... Yeah, not to take away from that, but I'm sure guys don't talk about their issues either. No, I was just going to say that now that I'm thinking about it out loud, I do wish guys would, because in general, guys don't talk about feelings. They don't talk about struggles. They just internalize and deal Mm -hmm. with it themselves. And if we could just be more open with one another, share with one another, and counsel one another... I think the mental state of our country would be in a completely different place. Yeah, I think about that a lot. Yeah, and I think um, I think it goes back to it gives you hope. If I am going through the worst of the worst circumstances and I'm willing to share with you that that's what I went through when I was 30 years old mm-hmm. and you're now 30 and you're going through that, but I'm now 43 and I'm like, look at this life I've lived. Yeah. yeah. And look at the experiences I've had. You can say it's possible. But I had to have been willing to share my personal story. That's what I was going to say. Is I, It's when we talk about with men not having those conversations as much. I feel like I have my best conversations with men mm. because I ask them these questions that maybe the other men in their life don't ask them. And then it's like, they're like, I've never been asked these questions before. And it's just like a waterfall. And like, it turns into these really wonderful, often Maddie very the long. <laughs> like, God. I don't know. It's like, yeah, but there's also that side of it. If no one gives you the opportunity to express this, then I mean, that's half of it is like, you have to give people the opportunity in yeah. like, and have it be judgment free and have it be like selfless in the sense of like I'm giving you the runway to talk about you as much as you want and I'm not like it's not about me you yeah. know people need those moments yeah agree wow that was awesome um can we talk about donor relations sure how do we attract how do we retain what's your thought process behind all that so Donor relations is truly exactly what the word is, relations. So it is about building relationships with Mm. people who have an interest in the organization that you work for, right? So whatever the cause is that you are trying to raise money for, um, they need to trust you. They need to trust that if they're going to give money to your organization, it's going to be put to good use and it is going to be making a difference in the life of the person that they are trying to help so money doesn't come quickly especially with individual donors um and it doesn't come as soon as you ask for it Mm -hmm. it is a long-term process um it gets frustrating and you have to be willing to get a thousand no's before Mm -hmm. you get the big yes and that's hard you have to feel comfortable with rejection. Um, So if someone is starting off their career in fundraising or donor relations, it will make your skin thick. Mm. Um, But in the beginning, it's very tough. You get discouraged. How, um, this might be a thing in marketing, like how many points of contact do you make before you ask? Oh, before you ask? How many, yeah, to build that relationship, right? Build rapport before that one ask. I mean, at the end of the day, a donor knows you're going to ask them for money. Mm, as soon okay. as you contact right. them, they're like, oh, 
she's contacting me because she needs money for this organization. Gotcha. So that that's there. I think you just have to get a feel for it. The first conversation is you're not going to ask. You're going to say, this is who I am. This is why I need you. Uh, this is what the need is. Mm-hmm. And then you follow up with a thank you. So you should always thank the donor. And every time a donor gives a gift, you should at least thank them in some seven different times in some that's, capacity. That's, yeah, we talked about this a lot too, is, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like fundraising, donor relations is kind of like a sales role. It is, yeah. And I work in a sales organization, mm-hmm. and my biggest thing has been we don't thank our customers enough. Yeah, you should thank for, them at least seven times. Wow. Yeah, and it's just like the thank yous go along, genuine thank yous yeah. go a long way. Yep. Um, and in a way, your donors are your customers. Yep. You have to serve them. Yep. Um, it's, yeah, it, there are a lot of parallels there. And in donor relations, when you build that relationship with them not only do they become donors they become advocates on your behalf so mm-hmm. they help. champions yeah they become champions where they're now introducing you to their networks they're willing to host cocktail parties at their home and they're willing to bring their friends and their family and they're willing to serve on boards for you they're willing to speak on your behalf but you have to build that relationship correctly mm-hmm. um first right that makes sense is there a a specific demographic that nonprofits should focus on, like per, I guess pertinent to the nonprofit, correct? So with refugee, is there a certain demographic that they target? Yeah, so we look for people who are globally minded, um, people that have interest in refugees, people that have interest in Kenya, people mm-hmm. who have interest in East Africa, girls empowerment, because we only help girls between the ages of 13 and 23. Um, and education. Yeah. So those are the areas that we target in terms of donors who are interested in those same specific um, ideals. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. do you find this? Is this <laughs> a Facebook hard. ad? Where, where are we? Uh... It's hard. Yeah. So first and foremost, you should be relying on your current donor base to introduce you to their friends because hopefully their friends are in the same space. You reach out um, maybe to churches. Mm-hmm. Churches usually give to not in the nonprofit space. Um, we also go after grants. You know, mm-hmm. we get a lot of our money from the government, uh, from organizations like Mastercard or Visa or big organizations that have a great social corporate social responsibility program. Mm-hmm. A founda- we go over after family foundations. Um, so there's there's money out there. The difficulty, especially with working in the U.S., that only 3% goes outside of the U.S. So mm-hmm. of people that give philanthropically, 3% of that money leaves the United That's crazy. States. crazy. And the rest of it stays within. You always hear people saying, like, we should take care of our own people before we give to others. But the, yeah. realist, wow. like, the reality is that we are. We are. <laughs> we are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, in addition to the seven thank yous, how do you ensure that these donors really feel involved? Our like, marketing strategy is a key thing too. So we send out stories of you know um, weekly updates or monthly updates of like what's happening on the ground. You know, hear the story about this specific mm-hmm. girl and how you helped her. You have to stay engaged with them in some capacity, whether it's email blasts, you know, Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, um, regular mail, sending them videos. Uh, one thing that we have that I specialize in is actually taking donors overseas. I was about to ask. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I created my business around. So when donors interact with the people that are recipients of the money that they give, it takes a donor. It increases it's, their giving. It's the next level. Yeah, yeah. To by at least fifty percent. What? And, Oh, keep going. Sorry. No, I was just going to say it increases their giving by 15, 50% because they're able to meet these people, touch, feel, right. like right. see the difference. And um, we're actually doing a trip in June for refugee where we're going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro oh. and we're going to oh, fundraise cool. for oh, the organization wow. on on behalf of the organization. So anybody that's interested in climbing Mount Kilimanjaro but want to do a cause, like climb for a cause, mm-hmm. 
we're putting that entire trip together. Oh, wow. And so what will happen is people will come to visit our work in Nairobi for a couple of days. They'll interact with the girls in our program and get to see how we're making a difference in the community. And then they'll fly over to Mount Kilimanjaro and climb for seven days because the minimum you can do is seven days for Kilimanjaro. It, and I'm guessing the donors are paying for the yes. trip themselves. So yes. it's not like you donate X amount and you get access to. No. So you pay for the trip, but you also fundraise. So you reach out to your network and say, hey, guess what? I'm climbing Mount Kilimanjaro next June. Help me do it and help me give money back to this organization. Will you give me so many dollars to do so? Got it. Got and it. And then for the less adventurous, we're going to take those guys on safari. <laughs> <laughs> so there's like a one group that's going on Mount Kilimanjaro and one group that's going on safari. That's really cool. So if you guys are interested, let me know. You've yeah. Piqued my interest. You have. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know in, at Shirley Ryan, M Maddie, we're always looking for opportunities to give back. But like you said, you don't want to just give money, right. you know, blindly. Mm -hmm. um, is there anything else besides um, planning excursions and trips that we can do to have a more immersive experience for the the donor I'm just you know instead of like the postcard picture or the Instagram sure picture. I mean we have events all events, the time okay. like we sell our scarves so okay. when every time you purchase a scarf you're giving back to oh, the organization okay, okay. and you're giving us money to be able to fund the girls mm -hmm. um, so and they're beautiful scarves we're doing uh, next year in April March or April we're doing what is called our fashion challenge mm. and so it's a fashion show that we do it's a big like black tie gala um, that happens here at the Chicago Cultural Center. And the girls tie-dye material, and then we get like 10 up-and-coming fashion designers to create an outfit out oh, of these cool. materials. That's a great idea. Yeah, and then th they do a whole fashion show like catwalk and then um the winner there's a winner and everything but people buy and come to this event because it's a fun event in chicago that we do so are the girls walking no are they so, here or are they so we in nairobi <laughs> we do it with the refugee girls okay. but here we can't because they can't come they can't come yeah yeah that's yeah that's we do have girls that got, have like, settled here okay that do come to the event and speak like yeah. they'll speak from the podium but we don't have enough to do the actual one day though yeah. yeah i'm curious about that because when i lived in rome mm -hmm. we did some refugee work there because italy is a yeah. huge absorber of refugees yep. um and something that they told us in the training before we had interactions with the refugees was they told us not to encourage them to come to America because they said often it's not a place where refugees succeed. Is that, I'm just curious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they were saying like a lot of, a lot. they're like, just get ready because the refugees are going to ask you a lot of questions about America because in their mind, that's like the place that they want to get to. And, yeah. and they told us like, don't encourage the get to America mindset because it's not an easy place for refugees to succeed. Well, in general, as in my parents were immigrants, mm -hmm. right? So um, not necessarily refugees, but it's a similar situation where you come and you don't know anyone. So they really have, to, if they come here, they have to be set up with the right program mm -hmm. to succeed. And But like any person, who comes to this country you have to work hard mm -hmm. right so you have to be able to have the gumption to want to work hard i don't i wouldn't say they don't succeed but i will say like we are not accepting refugees in our country like we used to like there's yeah. a decline in refugee resettlement around the world and that's actually some of the difficulties that we're facing at refugee is the girls are not being resettled so now they're stuck in nairobi so right. now how do we set these girls up for success because they're not getting resettled in countries like the UK or the US or Australia. And so we're now figuring out what are some technical skills in addition to stitching and tailoring that we can teach them so that they can start their own businesses. Yeah, that's... So it's ideally, I think it's it would be nice if we could set them up for success in the host country that they're in. Mm -hmm. um, but like any immigrant, like any person who goes to another country, you do start from the bottom and you have to work your way up. There's no handout. Right. Right. Um, so I don't know if it's necessarily harder. It's just, in general, you have to work hard. Have you come yeah. across any 
girls that don't want to work hard? I feel like they're all grateful for yeah. any opportunity. Yeah. No, I haven't. Okay. Yeah, I think um, everybody hustles, right, in yeah. some capacity when you know you have to survive. Very different and mindset then. It's a yeah, very, it's a very different mindset. And that's yeah. the thing is they do succeed. I feel like they do succeed in some capacity here because they have the mindset to work hard. They don't want to yeah. go back to those circumstances. That's what I was going to say is I went to high school with a Rwandan refugee. Oh. Um, she and her sister were brought here. She had a crazy story of hiding in a tree mm-hmm. and watching her parents be murdered. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, her story is so interesting because she's like, that drive is just something different when you were raised in a place where it's like, you make it or you don't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, it's just a different ingraining of what life means. Yeah. I mean, the difficult part is when you're in, you know, in a country like the U.S. where you see people that are homeless but there are so much access to things for homeless people here. It's yeah. whether they choose to take advantage of that or right. not. Right, sometimes it's mm-hmm. choice. Yeah, and in those countries, they don't have those kinds of programs. They don't have government aid. They don't have, like, homeless shelters. They are, how do I survive today? Can I sell this toothpick and make a dollar off of this toothpick mm-hmm. so I can feed my child? So yeah. that's really, they are truly... Um, like that's hustling. real that's the truth yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's real. the true hustle yeah. yeah yeah there's a there's a shelter on the west side called a safe haven she was um she, she'll be on the podcast eventually um but she ran into the problem of her clients so it's not just a shelter but it's a holistic um model where they come in they give them a key to a place to live in Mm -hmm. only if they meet certain things like go to class and build the Mm -hmm. foundation and get back out into the real world Mm -hmm. Um, but then they run into the the bump of where these a lot of these um, clients are unemployable because maybe they're ex-convicts or um, ex-drug addicts or whatever reason they were homeless for so Nelly the co-founder president of Safe Haven um, created companies under a Safe Haven or maybe landscaping mm. or catering mm-hmm. and things like that. Yep. So it's like one whole model to yep. have everyone just yeah. go back into the real world. Yeah. <laughs> Those yeah. labels are rough. Yeah. Like it's so sad that because of a mistake you made when you were 17 or 18 affects your livelihood as a 40-year-old person. Yeah. yeah. That's stigma. Yeah. 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 That's cool though. Um. Yeah, I mean, is there anything else that you want to share for the next generation, I guess? Any advice for those that are lost or don't know what they want to do in life? You talk, We talked about the crossroads of passion and fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Um, things like find out what you're good at, find out how you can be of, of service, yep. um, and then find a way to monetize it. Yep. Have grace for yourself. Ooh. You won't know. I'm 43 and I'm like, oh, what am I going to do next? You know, like, but I don't, I don't fret about it like I did in my 20s. Mm. Um, Because, again, I keep saying this, there's no mistakes in life. Like, everything leads to the right direction that you're supposed to go on. Even the worst things take you to the right place. So try different things. Um... But have grace for the fact that you may not know. It's okay. It's okay to experience life. It's okay to enjoy life. It's okay to try different things before you get to the right thing. But it will find you. You don't have to find it. I think that's... That's great, especially for the people that think that they're born with passions. Right. It's something that you got to work at. Yeah. you got to... I've been trying to be more open. I call it respecting nudges from the universe in like reading guideposts Mm -hmm. of kind of what you were saying is you have to be open to what is brought to you and be you have to be receptive to that and respect it in a way but you also need to be aware and looking Mm -hmm. for the things that like it's like if you get nudged in the same place like maybe you should perk up a little bit and be Mm -hmm. like why why does this person or whatever keep crossing my path yeah so I feel like there needs to be that relationship there. Yep. 
and and um like you said be open Mm -hmm. you have no idea what why that is in front of you and what is the meaning behind the experience Mm -hmm. that you're about to go through but for example my job with refugee i didn't look for it it came to me and through a connection you said right so it's also just being open to people Mm -hmm. and what they can offer you yeah 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 life works out it does yeah. It does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it's not easy. I will never say it's easy, but um, if you can have grace for yourself and smile and laugh along the way, mm-hmm. it makes it easier. Do you think that's the difference of people who feel some people at the end of their life will say life didn't work out and some people will say it did? Do you think the difference between those two people would be the perception and Yes. The allowance. Yeah, it's your perspective. Mm. Like what you allow in your mind, um, how you look at different things. Like be aware. Like I'm doing this. I'm practicing this. When you start to feel sad about something and you're not sure why, start to evaluate your thoughts. Like what are you looking at? What? Yes, we were just talking <laughs> about this. We uh, were just talking about this. Yeah, yes, be aware. about being aware. Yeah, yeah. really. Be, take the time to be aware and not fight cha- it and I'll not just, fight yes. it and then change your I thought. I was just talking with a friend about this mm-hmm. of like these emotions that we as humans feel sadness, anxiety, anger, they're survival tactics. Right. Because you know, fear is a survival tactic. You should be afraid of certain things, but sadness and anxiety are also because that should be a trigger for you to think. Like, yeah. why do I feel anxious? Yeah. Why yeah. do I feel sad? And that process of processing through it can often get you out of feeling that way yes. just in itself. Yes. Instead of just like, yeah, we were just talking about this on the way here. It helps just talking about this. Yes. <laughs> it's, it does. It's like, yeah, that's why I'm, I'm a huge, I love walking. Yeah, me too. And walking is something that humans are designed right to, to do. do it's yeah. like very good to recenter yourselves but i feel like when you're doing an activity like walking these mindless or these like thoughtless things come into your mind that often lead you down this rabbit hole of self-discovery of yeah. self-challenging yep. yeah yeah mm. and count your blessings mm. there's um so much in life to be grateful for the fact that we're breathing the fact that we live in a beautiful city like chicago and have a beautiful day like this the fact that we could do a podcast and talk right like yeah just really take the moment every day to think of five things Mm. that you're grateful for and it really helps your perspective in life and travel and i'm not just saying that because i own a travel business (laughs) it it that opens up your world in so many different ways and it makes you appreciate life in so many more different ways and then you like i am so grateful that some of my closest friends live in other countries Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and i just have these enriching relationships and i think not a lot of people have this. That's such a good perspective. Everyone gets so sad when someone moves. Yeah. But the flip side could be like, this is great because now I have a destination yeah. to, to go, go see visit. someone yeah. new. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's all, I mean, who wouldn't want to go to Rwanda and say, I have friends and family and they're welcoming and I could go there and. Yeah. That's what it's you like, have to look forward to. <laughs> I would love a friend to move to Spain. So yeah. I could be like, gotta go to Spain. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good excuse. Yeah travel and count your blessings okay. and change your perspective yeah that's good advice yeah. yeah man did you have any anything else no i think no. i got some good advice out of this one <laughs> yeah, it's something to aspire to I, I, I don't think i'm in a place right now i i do feel that sense like i said earlier to like give back but i think mm-hmm. i, I want to do something different i don't know so i'll keep an eye out it doesn't have to be so tactical yes. that's what i learned and like yes. it doesn't have to be or grand or anything mm-hmm. like that or so a smile a day. But, a you, smile. but you're not realizing victor you are giving back yeah this podcast oh, is yeah, giving yeah, yeah. back yeah you just change your perspective yeah. like you don't know the lives that you're, you're touching or the I, conversation I just, like, and he's a but it's he's always a freaking paramedic yeah. and you struggle <laughs> with the idea of are you not giving I back guess, like, like you said, it's, there's always more right, right? like yes something like that yeah. yeah you do i mean i do struggle with that i'm not gonna lie i will talk to my friends and my family and say i wish i could do more mm-hmm 
Um, and you try. Yeah. You do your best. Yeah. Um, where can people find you if you're open to people finding you? Or learn about Refugee or maybe yeah. even the, the business? Where can people find that? So, what hmm. is, you could call me, you, I mean, you could email me. Email you? Yeah. What's the email? Um, so my Refugee email is a nandan N-A-N-D-A-N, at Refugee, R-E-F-U-A-S-H-E, dot org. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then what about the business, if they wanted to travel with you? Yes, please do. <laughs> That's asnconsulting18 at gmail.com. Is there a website? Not yet. Not yet. Any Instagram or Twitter? I do have an Instagram page, which is adele.nanden and asnconsulting, too. Okay. Yep. So, and then Refugee also has an Instagram page. We are Refugee. Adele, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. This was fun. It was fun, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I want it to be just as rewarding for the guest as well as for everyone who's listening. Absolutely. So thanks for coming on. Yeah. I'm sure I'll see you again soon. Yep. In a couple of days, if not today. <laughs> um, Maddie, thanks for co-hosting. Always. Always. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Um, I'll see you guys in the next episode. Stay curious. Aloha.